0: to Challenging Behaviours, the podcast that hopes aims, does, do we? Do we challenge behaviours towards disability in society today? Tom? Yes. Tom's here, that was your introduction. Hello. Hello. Uh, who did we just talk to, Tom?
1: Dr. Francis Ryan. Who's that? He was a journalist who wrote Crippled, Austerity and the Demonization of Disabled People, which is out on the 11th of June.
0: Out of the 11th of June. I think that might be the first plug we've ever done. I think so. It might actually be. Plug. We might have done with Dan White. He talked about Department of Ability, but it, didn't have a, it wasn't released at that point. So it might technically be our first ever plug. Nice. 29 episodes in. What did uh, we talk about? What we talk about, we talked about Austerity. Talked about education a lot uh, and kind of the public kind of is discourse, the word no attitude. I think discourse works, Does discourse works, School. discourse works. Soundbite discourse works um, towards uh, people with disabilities. Uh, it was really interesting, fascinating talk. Um, so, enjoy or yeah. don't. Do what you want. One thing we're not very good at is kind of just starting it in general. <laughs> uh, we never really know how to get things going, so let's just start. So, hello. <laughs> uh, we've got Tom here on Skype.
2: Say hello, uh... Tom.
0: And Uh, we have a fantastic guest with us today. Uh, We always uh, see her work popping up on social media all the time. Definitely one of the go-to journalists uh, doing work around disability. We have Dr. Francis Ryan. Hello. Hi. And you have a book coming out soon, is that right?
2: I do. I know it's
0: right. (laughs) Uh, so what so it's crippled the demon austerity and the demonization of disabled people.
2: Give it the full title,
0: yes absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um so we're just wondering so what this what this book is about and you know, some of the the processes involved in in writing it and uh some some of the things you found out and part of the journey. So Whatever you'd like to tell us about it, please do go ahead.
2: Yeah, so um, thank you. So, yeah, I've been writing about um, disability and um, particularly government cuts for about seven years now. And I think that sort of led naturally to putting it together in a book because it was one of those issues that just seemed to be building and building over the last decade and really crippled is about Britain's relationship with disability I think we have a bit of a funny one as a country when it comes to disability. We, I think there's this idea that we're really good when it comes to disability. We yeah. position ourselves as like a global leader of disability rights which we are in, in some ways and we tell ourselves that, you know, that the welfare state and the safety net will always be there in times of sickness and disability. But actually, when you look at it, that's quite a rose-tinted view of of our relationship with disability. For for decades, disabled people have have endured inequality that other groups haven't. And over the past decade in particular, we've seen these austerity measures that have pulled tens of billions of pounds from disabled people's support that has, I think, really felt like a rolling back of the rights that disabled people have gained over the last 50 years. So I think the book is really about getting some honest conversation started about what actually Britain is like for disabled people and what we can do to make that better.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, So uh, we did an episode not long ago and I spoke to uh an actor rj mitty and he was talking about the uk like um as if like he was like ah oh, the uk you guys are really great at uh supporting people with disabilities etc and there was a part of me it was a bit like wait what <laughs> i don't know if you know um i don't know how you've you've got this kind of idea i didn't say it at the time because i was a bit like oh it's Oh, J. Bitty, I'm a bit starstruck. Um, it's really interesting. Um and we've also spoken to Ian Birrell who said something similar, where a lot of countries expect the UK to be um really supporting people with disabilities in like the best way in the world, maybe. Um and that's simply not the case. Uh why do you think that why do you think people expect the UK to be on the forefront of supporting people with disabilities
2: i think, I think in many ways we have been. be i think britain you know compared to somewhere like the us you know we've always had you know a european model of uh of a welfare state that has you know a decent stretch and we've seen um you know say over the last 60-70 years you know basic stuff like the the development of the nhs a as a model for being there in times of sickness, no matter how uh, poor or wealthy you are, um, through the point of need. And then, over the past through the 1990s, we've seen really um, sort of groundbreaking inclusion for disabled people in various parts of society. We've seen, you know, basic stuff like laws that enable us to not not be, in theory, discriminated against when it comes to employment or or transport or education, and we have social security like disability living allowance which was introduced in the 90s to help us pay for the extra costs of disability. We've had independent living movements through the 70s and 80s that have helped push disabled people um, away from living in institutions and care homes into being able to live in their own homes like anyone else. This was never perfect. But there was certainly a direction, I think, where these gains were being made. And I think what struck a lot of disabled people, particularly those older than me who lived through those hard-fought gains, that actually the past 10 years have been particularly worrying because we did make these gains. People, generations fought for these gains and Britain has positioned itself as, you know, a, a world leader and actually when you look at it, the last 10 years, we've seen you know a really scary rollback of the most fundamental rights for disabled people to you know to really rise. you know the the levels of, of growing poverty for disabled people in this country um the the push back on basic stuff like getting your disabled child a place at school or being able to live independently in your own home because social care cuts I mean your personal assistant has been taken away he used to help you get dressed and go to the toilet in the morning. You know, these are the most basic fundamental parts of being alive, that for a lot of people in Britain with disabilities, their needs are not currently being met anymore. Yeah. Uh, Tom, what, what what are your thoughts? <laughs> um
1: <clears throat> so the thing about um the past ten years, like you were saying, it's like almost a reverse of the steps that have been made um it's sort of as you like as you know it can be applied to like austerity in general um if you look at all the aspects of it but especially on disabled people and we've spoke about this before on the podcast the idea of like a forgotten minority sort of or one that is never at the forefront of the discussion in public opinion um yeah, yeah. how do you feel like public opinion has affected the disability cuts. Do you feel like because it's not at the forefront of public opinion, they were able to happen in the background without people really mm. causing a fuss? Or do you think it's just the same as the fact that under austerity, child poverty has doubled? So I mean, it's it's yeah. not like all groups have suffered unequally, but it just seems like the disabled, like disabled people in Britain, have definitely at least in the background taken bigger hits that people don't really know yeah. about. Yeah,
2: yeah, completely. I think. Absolutely, it's, it's what's happening to disabled people is absolutely part of a, of a widespread rollback of, of the state. As you say, child poverty is a huge issue that's developed because of that. And, and that, that's really because there are certain groups of society that rely on the state more than others. Yeah. When you're a child, you need support, particularly if you're from a low income family. And if you're disabled, by definition, you're going to rely on more parts of the state than someone who's healthy. Generally. And I think when it comes to disabled people, as you say, I think there's a few issues that, that mean disabled people don't necessarily catch the attention of the wider public. I think part of it is, is the fact that we're quite uncomfortable, I think, still as a country when it comes to talking about disability. I think it's quite scary for a lot of people. It seems, it seems quite separated from everyday life. We don't necessarily like to think of it it's a bit like one of those things that you think happens to other people and you don't want to think of it in terms of something that's related to your own life. But actually, disability touches so many of us. You know, there's about 12 million people with some sort of mental health sickness or disability um, in Britain. There's about 7 million family carers who are looking after elderly or disabled people. None of us know at any point whether we're going to get sick or disabled so it's not like this is a niche issue but I think it's still portrayed a lot of the time like it is just some sort of a a real sort of um you know other people rather than actually we're all in this together this is part of society and what affects disabled people affects us all in 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 some way
0: yeah we've had a guest before who's described disability as the only minority that anyone can suddenly become a part
2: of Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, and I, and I think I actually talk about that in the book. I talk about this. You get this phrase, don't you, with um, some disabled campaigners talk about how you're not yet disabled to try and, you know, motivate people to, to care ultimately. Like, you might not need out-of-work sickness benefits now, but that idea that actually tomorrow, you know, you might sadly get cancer or, you know, be in a car accident and suddenly you're not able to work um, for the foreseeable, and suddenly you will need out of work sickness benefits, and that's sort of that motivation. That's, that if you remind people that this could happen to you, that that will hopefully help some non-disabled people who wouldn't necessarily think of it suddenly start to care. And I think that's a really natural way of speaking, just to to help you connect to the idea that 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 health is, you know, health is health is a fucker. It will hit yes. you when you don't know it's coming, you know, and that's, that's absolutely true. But I think also, I've always had a bit, and I say in the book, I think that, that's the thought is a bit, I think it sort of gives up the ground a bit too quickly because I don't really want people to care about disabled people because they might be affected it's so just about point.
0: themselves, yeah.
2: I, I think it's about connecting each of us in society and that, that idea of a safety net being a, a positive thing for society, that when we're healthier, we pay our taxes and we support each other in these times of need. And then if you get sick yourself, that safety net will be there for you. And if you don't, you've still contributed in a way that's helping your fellow member of society to live a, de- a decent dignified life. And that level of empathy and connection and solidarity, I think, is is even more important than that idea of well, actually
1: this might happen to you one day. Yeah I agree, I think um, the whole point of the safety net as you say is that kind of everyone benefits in different ways from it and yes. even if you don't explicitly see where you're maybe getting your money's worth out of it, yes. it's, it's as you say it's, it's actually creating that community for everyone and making everyone feel a part of being and living in Britain that is kind of the worth it part I think. And you don't want people to just feel like it's it's almost selfish for people to only care if it might happen to them. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, I think that idea is it? the fact that I think in recent years the conversation about the welfare state and benefits in particular has really changed. It's it's like we need to change the conversation back again to the fact that benefits and particularly disabled people have sort of been increasingly talked about like we're a drain on society and the welfare state is something that with gritted teeth we have to pay for through our taxes. But actually, as you say, you know, the conversation should be this is the most precious thing that any society can have. It's fantastic to have a safety net that protects you when you're in need. It isn't a drain on the public purse. It's the best possible thing I can spend my taxes on. This is an amazing deal. And I think, you know, shifting that conversation back again, to disabled people are not a drain on society. The welfare state is a positive thing, not something to just put up with. I think it's incredibly important going forward.
1: Definitely. Um, I think as well, it, it, it just makes me, it confuses me a lot, um... Like, I've spoken to my parents about this, uh, about their taxes, um, and like when they see the breakdown of theirs, my dad was saying that quite a lot of the taxes you pay currently go towards like subsidising in-work benefits when people work for companies like Amazon and stuff who just don't yeah. pay the white wages, And for some reason, still, as you say, like it, it's seen as like benefits ground as is the, the issue, and that's where my taxes are going. When it's like there's so many bigger issues of like what what is actually wrong in society but it's just like how can we scapegoat any particular opportunity and I feel like disabled people especially have that idea that they're not contributing to society at all so they're a complete drain of my taxes which is we spoke about on the podcast tons before but that opinion in itself is sort of self-fulfilling if we as a society believe that a certain group of people cannot contribute then we won't enable them to contribute when actually we've seen it in our work Jack and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it all over Um, when you actually support people in the right way then everyone can be a contributing member of society and it it becomes so much better for everyone not just the individual who's contributing but also in a sort of economic way the fact that there's another person paying taxes in society is always going to help economically so it's kind of we pick pick our battles just so stupidly at the moment in society and it's kind of the resurgence as you say of this anti-welfare state sort of pro- Austerity model—it just, just—it it blows my mind because when you look at the actual facts and the, the possibilities behind it, it, it makes zero sense. It's like it has literally no ounce of sense in the argument. It just it, it really—it confuses me and angers me a lot as well. And kind of, yeah. Yeah, I think, just,
2: I think it's been a huge issue that that austerity from the beginning was really cleverly presented as prudent economic decision making. And that if you cut money that from the state that, that was sensible and people who wanted to fund public services were, you know, unrealistic and outlandish. Um, but actually as you say, when you look at the numbers properly, shrinking the state actually ends up costing so much more. If you look at a disabled person, as you say, if you cut someone's social care they're not able to, for example, um, get dressed and go to work in the morning. You know, one, one woman I was speaking to um, for, for The Guardian um, last year, you know, she, was, she had a mess, she was 30 and she was an accountant, and she was having her social care removed. And, you know, if you pull that away, how is she going to get to work in the morning, do her job and pay her taxes? Yeah. And it, it's so completely counterproductive. Um, But I think at the same time, when you talk about that contribution to society, when it comes to disability, I think you have to be really careful, I think, with this sort of taxpayer and disabled person sort of narrative. Because we talk often about how there's a disabled person and then there's a taxpayer. Like, there's two separate things. When, of course, actually, we we all pay tax in different ways. We we pay tax, you know, VAT even from not paying income tax. And I think a lot of people who are unable to work, who aren't the wheelchair-using accountant going to work in the morning, that actually their their disability or illness means they can't work. I think we need to also talk about the fact that that with the right support, they can contribute too. They can't contribute in the way that society often glamorises, i.e. having a job and paying taxes like that. But there's so many other ways someone can contribute if they give if they're given the right support, even if they're not well enough to do a full time job. I think a lot of disabled people I talk to really want that to be part of the conversation because there's this feeling that if you're too ill to work, you're too disabled to work, people don't see you as contribution to society. You're just a drain. I think that's a bigger a bigger conversation, isn't it, about uh under a capitalist society, how you can be a contributor to society even if you're not paying your income tax or going to work in the morning. And I think any conversation we have about disability and the value of disabled people has to include people who are unable to fulfil those traditional working roles.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Because when we had... We have my dad on the podcast um, and he's a social sciences lecturer and his argument was, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Jack, I can't remember exactly, but I think his point when we were talking about that was kind of, he doesn't even like talking about the tax side of it at all. Um, I only brought it up for the economic kind of to, to yeah. make the Tory argument, I guess, um, but his argument is just solely the contribution of A disabled person in the community is kind of so, or has the potential. At least you don't. I can't say for everyone, but at least from our experiences with our family and things like that, is is that that contribution to everyone's lives around them in the same way that everyone contributes to the lives around them, is alone enough to make their contribution to society worth it? If that makes sense, he he's like a big pusher of kind of person to person community interaction, and so for him the. It, it, he he just could not care less if the person is contributing in sort of recognized, it's very economic.
0: ways.
1: Yeah, it, it's completely about the individual's impact on the community. And he was, as, as is correct and so true, it's kind of no no person, regardless of disability or not, is unable to contribute to the lives of people around them and make those lives 10 times better. Yeah, I think
2: but that's it. I think that's the really, oh, real. I, I, at one point in the book, I talk about sort of like a spreadsheet with, with human beings on it. I, I think that's been a, that's a that's a crucial part of what we are seeing in recent years. This this total lack of, I've noticed, seeing people as as fully human and just talking about disabled people in a way that you just would would never talk about most other people as. You know, when it comes to something like independent living, for example, so. In the book, I talked to a guy called Pete, who uses, uses a wheelchair and has a team of personal assistants that helped him live in, his, in a flat he owned. He was, he was 30. And when his safe care was cut back, he was no longer safe to live at home by himself. And he ended up having to sell his flat and move into a care home for the elderly at 30. Um, and that idea that, you know, the council is sitting there with, you know, in all honesty, incredibly small budgets now they have been cut by uh, Westminster. But the fact that someone is sitting there and, and weighing up how much this human being will cost mm. to support the home versus how much he'll cost if we shouldn't a care home with people who could be his grandparents, that that's how we're actually judging... What, what a human being's life is going to be like for the next 50 years, I just find horrific. And I think that is, we have seriously lost something when we've got to a point where we're we we are, we are just calculating people, disabled people's lives, essentially, and weighing up in that way. Um, uh, just and, numbers. Yeah, and how, and you know, the extremes of, these aren't small things, you know, that is, you know, stuff like, You know, when you pull something like your social security or your health care or your social care, these are not small consequences. That is, you know, if anyone listening to this can just imagine for a second someone from the council turning up and saying, you've got to sell your home and you've got to go and live in an old folks home when you're 30. The idea that anyone but disabled people could possibly be told to do that and what it is that's happening that makes people think that's okay like, in what world is that OK? Yeah. That's completely abhorrent. But somehow that is, that is increasingly happening. That is a huge issue that's going to happen over the next few years as we see the social care cuts, really um, the consequences of that hit. I think we really we seriously have to think about what on earth we are doing that when that becomes a normal state of affairs, because that is not normal and a wealthy developed nation,
1: She'd be seriously panicking when that becomes a normal state of affairs, I think. No, so,
2: definitely. Yeah, oh, sorry,
1: ahead. Jack. No, you go oh, ahead. <laughs> oh, um, I was just going to say, uh, on that note, um, bring it into something my mum said. I think she said it on the podcast, um, where she talks about imagined future and how when she kind of looks at her five children, the four of us who weren't classed as disabled sort of had these amazing imagined futures from the moment we started nursery even yeah. the, sort of the belief we can achieve anything but then for Connor, it's like school the opportunity to work just opportunities in general there's like no sort of correspondence they don't really relate and there's not really from the beginning any sort of belief that he will kind of make something of himself in a way and uh, the way that she sums it up I think it was a a social care worker from the council or someone came round quite early on after Connor had been diagnosed with autism and basically just said to my mum, you want to look into residential care for when he's older? And she always remembers thinking at that moment, it was just like, okay, no one, no one believes that he has a kind of future that he can shape. Yeah, it's It's already been told that he's going to need support staff when he's older and that he won't have his independent life that he wants. And for me, that it's, as you say, it's people just being, their lives are decided for them. They have no input. And actually, you end up in a situation where you have a 30-year-old living with a load of people, as you say, old enough to be their grandparents. And it is, it, I mean, it's disgusting. It's the kind of thing that you'd read about in a textbook, yeah. talking about sort of the late 1800s, early 1900s. And you'd kind of be like, oh, my God, we've come so far. And then you realize that actually we haven't at all. We, we're still doing the same thing that we were doing forever, um, where we just weren't giving people the opportunity to live lives independently because we decided that they couldn't, or we decided that they weren't. The funding it would cost for them to live the life they deserve to live is something we yeah. can't justify on a spreadsheet, as you say. It's really disgusting.
2: Yeah, There's
0: no human element to it at all, is there? It's, it's interesting you compared it to like a, a textbook and... Um, the kind of com- it's just just numbers on a page, just like a textbook. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think we can do to to? So, you talked about like there's just a lack of kind of human connection, etc. What do you think we can do to encourage that uh, kind of human connection and rem- remind people that these are people um, yeah. whose lives we're not we, the powers that be, are, yeah. um, you know, dealing with
2: yeah I think this i mean i I end the book with um some some suggestions because it was really important for me to to have a sense of sort of of, of hope if you like, so I think it's really important not to sanitize what's happening um but at the same time, when you talk about really difficult things, I think it's so important to have a sense of that this isn't inevitable, that actually there is hope there mm. because things can change we've seen over you know, the past few decades what incredible progress can happen for disabled people if certain policies are put in place um, and that creates a, a real sense of, of, of possibility I think and that, that yes we've had this rollback over the last decade which is incredibly serious but with the right changes we can absolutely make that, like, make that ground again and, and make more progress. I think there's various ways of doing that. I think one issue that I think is really important that we don't often talk about um, when it comes to um, austerity is the general inclusion and representation of disabled people. Um, I think the fact that whether you see disabled people in everyday life has a huge impact on how easy it is for governments to make policies that harm us. I think the fact that you... Still, rarely see disabled people in positions of power. There's only a handful of um, disabled MPs, for example. Um, You very rarely get disabled people fronting the large disability charities in this country. There's still low disability employment rates compared to non disabled people. There's increasingly exclusion of disabled children in school so that when you grow up you're not necessarily in a classroom with a disabled person so you can spend you know the first decade or 15 years of your life not coming into contact with a disabled person you switch on tv you might you might see a couple but far um few compared to to other um to other people and that just i think that's a huge issue because if you don't if you don't start if people don't notice and talk to and interact with disabled people, and disabled people are in positions of influence where they can uh, influence policy, for example, I think all of that really connects in a way that makes it so much easier for policies to be developed and enacted that move support from disabled people. Um, and it comes back to that idea of of disability being something so far removed from your everyday life that you don't even think of it. So that when you read in the paper that, you know, there's more disabled people being put in care homes, that seems... It's not so much that you don't care, but you don't quite understand, I think, why that's such a big deal. Because it just seems like
0: that's what should... like, As far as yeah. you're aware, that's what should be happening. Like, You don't have any kind of idea that, actually, this isn't something that disabled people need. They don't yeah. need to be living in these care homes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. that is the idea that it's your cultural understanding of you know race and class and gender with disability impacts what society does in those ways. And as you say, when it comes to disability, you know, the average non-disabled person, honestly, I think a lot of people would think it's completely normal for disabled people to not have... A career, or sex, or live alone, or to want to have kids—you know, those—that that sort of, sort of, you know, so-called harmless prejudice. These aren't people who you know hate disabled people. They're not committing, you know, hate crimes. They're not yelling at us in the street. But it's it's that sort of benevolent prejudice that that just doesn't see us still in the same ways that people see non-disabled people, and tackling that is is such a huge part i think of, of addressing um the the issues of what policies politicians bring in
0: i can't agree more as well with the idea of um kind of integration uh in school because i have seen it like personally where i've supported um Uh, children with disabilities in say like mainstream schools and I've seen the impact that can have and the level of understanding that can create and I I can I can see why a lot of schools would find that uh, a difficult thing to achieve because you know there are you know levels of differentiation to, to do to the to the work and stuff and sometimes you know keeping um people in the same classroom it's hard to create that balance but i don't think that's you know that's the hand they've been dealt with um
2: yeah and it it comes back to to funding i you know it's not just attitudes it's it's funding and the way the two link together you know the the last chapter of my book looks at the education system and the way that cuts to local authorities and education budgets are really hitting um, people with special educational needs you know, particularly hard. And this isn't just schools being prejudiced against disabled kids, although of course there's a part of that, it's, it's they haven't got the money to pay for the things that, that adequately support children with special educational needs. And that leads to these children being excluded from school rather than being given a decent education and of course that you know that impacts that disabled child more than anyone but it it impacts the whole class because as you say if you if you just don't have children who who are different than you in your class that impacts you know your your whole perception as you grow up so having that that inclusion of disabled children and the right support for them when they can be in mainstream education which many can um, you know is a hugely important thing. I think that that rollback of the inclusion of disabled children rather than the segregation of us into separate schools when it is not in any way necessary is a really huge thing that we're seeing at the moment. a lot of parents of disabled children are having you know really tough fights with the local authorities to just get their kids an education
0: um. So, I've also to kind of go back a little bit uh, in terms of schools and things. um, I don't think that a lot of teachers in mainstream settings are they don't receive much training. I don't, I I can't actually say this for sure, but just based on what I've seen, they don't receive any kind of training on how to work with um, children with disabilities, and that is why there's this often you know, and teaching assistants, which is where I was, may have a bit more experience than that, and this is why they're often kind of sent out of the classroom to work individually, um, mainly because I think a lot of teachers just aren't sure what they need to do to kind of make the work more accessible, etc. Um, and there's a real interesting thing there where the, the teaching assistants who... Um, get to work with uh, children on a more emotional level and make those human connections etc whereas mm. teachers are a bit more kind of um, removed from that and it kind of just kind of encapsulate what you've been saying that a lot of this is due to just a lack of connection in, in like society between people and people with disabilities and only those that who have like close, experience uh, seem to be those that seem to be raising their voice about it.
2: Yeah I think I think what you mentioned there about about teachers and teaching assistants is a massive issue. I think we've seen haven't we across the board the way that that in many schools when budgets have been slashed so deeply that teaching assistants are often the first to go and those teaching assistants you know really support kids who aren't disabled but just needs you know some more help because you know they're they're having difficulties at home which, which naturally affect their ability to learn. But when it comes to children with special educational needs and disabilities, you know, take deaf children for example. So in the last four years, teachers of the deaf so they're essentially just assistants that, that help a deaf child interact and learn at school. Teachers of the deaf have, have um, been cut, I think one in ten have been removed from schools is the latest stats and I think you know that's sort of, I cannot imagine what it feels like to be a deaf child in school who has lost the person who was helping you sort of understand and integrate and learn um, each day at school and when that's removed there's no like the best teacher in the world would not be able to substitute that. Disabled children need that one on one a lot of the time at school. Whether it's because of deaf, because you have autism, or like me when I was going up at school, I used a wheelchair. You know, I needed someone just to help me get around the school. If we don't have that, there's no way of us being able to to learn and fulfil our educational potential at school. It, it you know, it's not an exaggeration to say that that absolutely alters our life forever. we don't have that support at school, that changes the opportunities that we can have throughout our entire life. And currently, there are so many disabled children and children with special educational needs who are having the building blocks of their life, so to speak, completely pulled away because of, because of funding changes and cuts.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, I think we're going to have to wrap up there. Um, thank you so much, uh, Francis. It has been absolutely fascinating. Um, so when when does the book come out?
2: Um, so Clifford comes out on the 11th of June, and you can pre-order it now.
0: Brilliant. Uh, and all good bookshops, I imagine. And probably the not-so-good ones, too.
2: I mean, anywhere, you know, hopefully just turn into a shop and you will be able to buy it. Um, it's out with Verso, so you can also get it on their website too.
0: Nice. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much. That was really
1: interesting. It was really cool.
0: Holy shit! What a conversation! Whoa! <laughs> Uh, huge thank you to Dr. Francis Ryan for making time to talk to us. Uh, yeah, as she said, the book is out on June 11th in bookstores.
1: All good bookstores. If good? it doesn't have it, it's not a good bookstore. That's exactly. what I would say.
0: Exactly. And you can also see her work in The Guardian. And, you know, well, she's freelance, so you can find her anywhere, really. But Guardian is... A weekly column, I believe. Um, so, anything, any other business, Tom? Um, I guess just thank you to Dr. Francis
1: Ryan. Um, I found that incredibly interesting. Um, I would guess we can echo what she said about how, as a society, we all need to take kind of more... If we... If we don't allow people to be excluded, then they won't be excluded on all levels. So I guess just echo the inclusion point she made at the end.
0: Yeah, so listeners, do that.
1: (laughs) Even though most of our listeners are
0: (laughs) going to be people who do do that. Who already (laughs) said (laughs) do-do.
1: We're preaching to the
0: converted,
1: but um, I thought that point was just really interesting to take from it. If you take anything from this podcast, if you've just stumbled across it. As a a whole. whole,
0: For all 29 episodes, just take... That yeah. one thing.
1: As they say, in- inclusion's good.
0: <laughs> That's what they say. That that old <laughs> adage, inclusion is good.
1: Yeah. I'm um, going to one-up
0: you there, Tom. I'm going to say inclusion is pretty good.
1: <laughs> Whoa. I, I wouldn't go that far.
0: <laughs> <laughs> cool. Joking. I'm joking. You absolute TCV's. Wow. I, I struggle to think of someone that says jokes then. Clown. You're a clown, Tom.
1: Comedian.
0: Uh, I feel like I need to get that kind of creepy vibe in there, though, as well. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Well, uh, Tom, say something cool. Inclusion. It's pretty good. <laughs> Bye!